0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's weekend show. Uh, Here at Bible Discovery, we're going through the Bible in a year. And on this program, we aim to discuss questions that pop up as we're reading through the Bible. And we also aim to discuss some of your questions as well. If this is your first time here, my name is Corey and I'm joined by Matlock, my husband. Hey Matlock.
1: What's going on?
0: Well, do you want to let them know what our scripture reading was supposed to be this week?
1: Yeah, so what we're discussing is Job 29 to Psalm 18. So we didn't talk about Job so much last week. We'll talk about much more of Job this week
0: much more Job this week because we're finishing like this week in our reading we finished off Job and we began the psalm so lots of poetry some really interesting stuff so our big question today is going to be about salvation and whether or not humility is required for salvation we're also going to be discussing you know why is the book of Job relevant we're going to be taking a look at some genealogies of Job so when you know is the story of Job supposed to be set and we're talking about repentance, we're talking about a weird use of the word for God or angels in psalms, lots of good stuff coming up. Awesome.
1: So let me start, let's open up with the first question. It's a Bible question. Okay. All right. So here it is. Why is the book of Job relevant for theology today?
0: Right. Go. Go, (laughs) go. go. Okay. Well, okay. So I think, I think the immediate Immediate instinct of most people is to relate the book of Job to human suffering, right? I mean, I mean that's just right. natural because we see Job going through this tr- tremendous amount of testing. But I think, I think that <clears throat> what we really see develop through the book of Job is is mankind's relationship to God um, in a general standpoint. So what I mean by that is Job isn't given. Solid answers about why he went through suffering, but rather his position in the universe in relation to God is expounded upon. Yes. So we see that Job acknowledges the magnitude of God and the characteristics of God. And has to be okay with that. Right. So this idea that God is so much higher above humanity, that he is the creator of everything, that he knows so much more than we do, and the ability for us as humans to rest in that knowledge, to trust God, no matter what we're going through. Right. So I think it's intensely relevant to... To really putting us in our place, yes. for lack of a better terminology there. I think I think the book of Job really puts us in our place where we have to then think about, okay, well, what it, it is, is the premise of this book correct? Or is the right. conclusion of this book correct that we are much lower than God? And then in turn, what does that mean for my life? Right. And what does that mean for my ability to wax eloquent about God. Again, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of words. Words are failing me today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, we can have all of these, we can make all of these theories about God and we do. Right. You know, we, there's, there's denominations and and different Christian divisions sometimes precisely for this reason where we understand God a little bit differently we've got the main things intact we know how we need to get saved we know who Jesus Christ is and and we we recognize his authority but then in some of these secondary issues in the scripture we we naturally read the bible and we come up with theories about how to interpret the world around us and how right. to interpret some of the biblical passages. And you would and relate
1: that to the the friends. Yes. Right.
0: Yeah, where they, they were holding so tight to their theories about why Job was suffering, but at the end of the day, they didn't know and they didn't leave room. Yeah, they didn't leave room for God's truth. Right. They just said, "No, this is the way that it is. You are sinful. God is punishing right. you for your sin, Job." But it turns out God wasn't punishing right. Job for his so sin.
1: Their theology was wrong, but they were so ardent and presumptuous in the fact that it was right. Yes, right, and that's very common today.
0: Very, very common. Yeah. So when you know, even even Job wasn't correct all the time in his assumptions about God and, and, you know, God shows up. He says, who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Yeah, yeah. You don't know. So there's that, there's that, you know, I think the book of Job really throws a wrench in our theology on purpose. Yes. It It makes us take a step back and go, right, I don't know everything, so I should probably stop acting like I know everything. Right. Not not that you can't know truth, but there is a limitation to yeah. we are not God. Right. We are not God. And, yeah,
1: that love the that, that presumptuousness that's layered throughout the text is actually like one of the hidden themes of Job that people do, often don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Because all the friends say this is this is proper theology. Yeah. You're evil. You have to be completely based mm-hmm. and like terrible, right? To to think to think <laughs> that you're not being judged for this reason, right? So Everyone judges Job based on their own misunderstanding about who God is and how God's justice works. Yes. And then you find out later, God's like, well, that's not at all how it works. And your friend spoke. Then Job ends up sacrificing for his friends. Yes. Right? Because his friends don't know any better. Yes. Right.
0: And so, um, and another thing people might say want to add into this conversation well yes but we have a lot more of god's word now than job and his friends and that is true the the bible is authoritative um uh, but we still need to have a level of grace and reality that we are not perfect when we come to the scripture so there is truth the scripture is telling us truth but we have to build our understanding about who God is really carefully. And at the end of the day, not create God in the image of our own mind, in the image of our own understanding. I mean, when you look at Proverbs 3, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge God and he will direct your paths. So it's this idea, there's, there's this balance of studying the scripture and praying for understanding and really trying to build a robust and healthy concept of who God is. Yeah. But at the same time, acknowledging that we are still human and we might make mistakes, that our hearts are deceitfully wicked, right? Deceitfully yes. wicked. Um and and you know, even even David when when he's speaking in the Psalms, he cries out, Who can know our hidden sins? Right. Please God, for or who can Yes, that there, that this idea that there are hidden sins. I'll find, I'll find that reference after and pop yeah. it down below. But um, there, there, the idea being that there are sins that we engage in that we're not even aware of, and asking God for forgiveness of that. So there's this level of, yes. reality about who we are. This acknowledging the truth that we are not perfect yeah. and that we are fallen. Now,
1: I think what makes the question interesting is if you were to substitute the word theology, for to say why is it relevant for Christianity today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you would be like, oh, okay, suffering, endurance, perseverance. Like, of course, those are factors. When we think about theology, you think about studying who God is. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, like, you know, St. Anselm calls it faith seeking understanding. Mm-hmm. And in regards to theology, faith seeking understanding God, right? That's mm-hmm. the idea. And it's that principle that it's not just about getting, knowing how God, uh, knowing about God. Mm-hmm. It's truly faith knowing God, mm-hmm. right? In, in a real intimate way. And, um, and, and that idea that in this, the, one of the points is that like Job is like the archetype of humility. Job has nothing, mm-hmm. has nothing, and he still repents, right? It's like that level of humility is often not grasped. It's just pretty much ever. Like, that, like to understand that someone could repent even though you've lost everything, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing for you. There's nothing to, in, in a human sense, to repent about, well, because, it's um,
0: an, it, because with Job, it's internal. It's how right. he's handled the situation, how he's understood right. God or failed to understand God.
1: Right. So you have this idea here where it's like this humility factors into his understanding about God, mm-hmm. right? His faith-seeking understanding. In Another sense, too, which I think is, just to add to it, is um, uh, natural theology. So when you think of general revelation, God revealing himself through nature and stuff like that, mm-hmm. when God... Challenges Job and judges Job. He just cites all these references to creation that Job just doesn't understand. It's like, were you there in the beginning? And he goes, Have you seen that this animal do that? Have you seen this animal do this? Can you tame Leviathan? He's, he, he just he points to creation as his basis for saying you don't know a lot of things, mm-hmm. right? And you 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 judge creation, but you, right you you're judging the creator, but you don't even understand creation yet. Yeah. Right. Um. And in that, what you have here is that God's basically being like, look, and ju- you don't know fully how justice works. Job then goes, you've shown me things too wonderful for me to know and understand, right? Mm-hmm. Just sh- well, The reason why this relates to general revelation is because just sheer on wonder of the universe, were you there in the beginning? Do you see the animals do this? Points to God, God's goodness. Just mm-hmm. sheer on wonder. So like when we often think about, when we think of Romans 1, where like all of his eternal properties and his uh, divine attributes are made plain, right? So that we, that we may know that God is, you know, is who he says he is. Paraphrasing, of course. But um, what's interesting here, too, it's not just a matter of, oh, God's all-knowing, God's all-good, all these things. And you see like, uh, you know, uh, you're getting it through, let say, Scripture itself. It's mm-hmm. like just sheer, you look at the universe and you have no clue how this could all be mm-hmm. points to God, right? It, like just seeing how the hydrological cycle works, like how it, you know, how how the clouds keep water and pour it. Like even that, it's like, it's just quite amazing. So the, even in terms of, and th- th- that's relevant to the gospel because the whole point is that human beings are hardened towards God, right? Just by nature. So... But we're without excuse, as Paul says. Mm -hmm. So you have this idea here is that even sheer on wonder, you're without excuse. Mm -hmm. Not just you having to rationally think things through to get to a point where it's like, oh, I think I understand this now. It's like, well, actually, you don't. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. don't understand. Mm -hmm. Were you there in the beginning? So you don't fully understand. So sheer on wonder and even reasoning things through, both those things come together to be like, this is part of the gospel message. So there's a relationship there. Anyways, that's my two cents on that.
0: Yeah, I like it. Okay, uh, I want to read a viewer question sure. to you. Okay, it is. is a, it looks long. It is a long one. Okay, but that's okay. We'll pop it up on the screen too. Okay, so this is from Frank and Helen B. and it says, "Dear family, my wife and I, in this fifth time through the Bible in one year under your tutorship. Congratulations on that. It's always exciting to go through the Bible several times." Okay. We gladly inform you of how much we love, enjoy your teaching, thank you. Thank you. God bless you and this ministry. I personally have a question that I would like to ask you pertaining pious Job. We hear from so many pastors, Job's lifetime fits in the slot between Noah's days to the days of Abraham. If so, how do we reconcile what we read in 1 Chronicles 2, verses four to nine, where we have a list of the sons of Judah, which it leads to the name Ram. Judah fathered Perez, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram. This is the list of Abraham's descendants, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Ram. In Genesis 22 verses 20 to 21, we have Abraham's brother Nahor. This Nahor fathered two sons named Huz and Buzz. This Buzz fathered the Buzzite family, I believe. Please correct me if I'm wrong. In Job 32 verse 2, we have Elihu, a Buzzite of the kindred of Ram. Thus, this Elihu is a descendant of Abraham and Nahor. Isaac married Rebekah. Rebekah was the granddaughter of Nahor from Isaac and Rebekah's descendants. We arrive to Ram, related to Buzz, from which Elihu is a descendant. Therefore, I conclude Job's timetable is long after the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons, which form the 12 tribes of Israel. Please teach us. Thank you.
1: Right. <laughs> so okay. there's a lot
0: of chronology going on here, a lot of
1: right. okay. family names. I know, I've answered this question before in the past. This is an older question, I recall. And I put it. I'll put it down below in the in the comment section, so you guys can read it. So if there's you want a to.
0: there's a written response. There's a
1: written response to this. Yes. Um, now, having said that, I think it's important. Now, I think that there's something to be said here um, about Elihu being in the text, but I'll get into that later. First, I want to say is just because names exist doesn't is not, that's not a good basis to establish a historical timeline. Yeah. Because there's you have to also. I think it's wiser, I should say, to use. Cross, to cross-reference cultural uh, signifiers, things that are happening in the culture, uh, and those are different things. So I have a list here that I gathered. One, Job's lifespan is one hundred forty years, mm-hmm. which is more like the time before Abraham and everything like that. One hundred forty years of age. Two.
0: I mean, it can fit into weird. Yes, I mean, we it, see like uh, Joseph and Abraham Moses, one hundred and ten. Like it's close. Yes,
1: it's close. Number two, uh, the wealth of Job is counted by flock size.
0: Yes. Rather
1: than what comes later with his uh, different types of forms of wealth. That flock size in particular is more so during the nomadic lifestyles that were happening at the time of a- Abraham. Uh, number three, uh, Job's called the most righteous guy on earth. So that's another factor I would say being like, okay, during the time, if this was happening during the time of Moses and the prophets, um, like Samuel, let's say, during the judges, uh, I would ha- it would be a weird thing to say that Job was the only righteous man on the earth if all these people were around that were clearly righteous. That's another point. Um, Also, too, uh, there's not really any references to the law. So, uh, like, there's old, during, before the law came about, there's sacrifices made in altars. That's referenced with Job. uh, But there's no, like, reference to the Mosaic Law or anything like that. And also, too, all the themes in the book of Job pertain to creation. And this is not which it does happen later in the psalms and stuff like that but in particular the themes and the overarching judgment of god that comes points to creation not the law Mm -hmm. so for these reasons i think there's some good reasons to think that job was written before abraham um having said that uh that has to do with the book of job uh as a whole and elihu himself is a different case um do you have anything you want to chime in before we go into this area
0: um yeah did you mention I, I was i was trying to get to a thing here but uh did you mention that job was the one sacrificing yes
1: yeah, so Job was the one sacrificing it was done more in an older style not during like a, not like he went to the he didn't go to the priests he Levites. didn't go to the priest yeah. the there's nothing like that so it wasn't like any there's no hint at the mosaic law at all mm-hmm. kind of at the time so everything like that points to all those cultural factors that the,
0: time of the patriarchs or a little bit before, because Abraham exactly. is also offering sacrifices himself, as are Isaac and Jacob. Yes. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um uh, but yeah, and to to the whole Buzzite situation, the this is the only time that I'm aware in the Bible where the term Buzzite is used. Yes, Buzz, there there is a descendant of Nahor named Buzz, uh, but we're not told that his descendants became known as the Buzzites. Um, it, there are so many. Um, name repeats not only represented in the bible but also in the archaeology of the ancient near east so there was a lot of um with without a a defining factor you know the buzzites from the land of or even the bible telling us that you know from but from this buzz came the buzzites who lived here uh we're we're shooting in the dark here so there's not there it's the the there's possibly a connection but it's tenuous right
1: so names are just not a good indication to create a historical talent. it has to be
0: it has to be more than just a name yes right which is why it gets helpful later on you know when the um, you know even even when it, it'll say like Isaiah son of Amos to distinguish from the other Isaiah's right that's helpful because then we can go oh this is the one they're talking about uh, yeah. Yes. But without that defining factor, it's really tough.
1: I will say this though, um, there are some scholars. Not they're they're divided about it about the the relationship with Nehu in the text. Sorry, not Nehu. Elihu. Elihu in the text, because he does this. He comes out of the blue. Mm-hmm. So he's not mentioned in the beginning. He's not mentioned in the end when Job sacrifices for his friends. Mm-hmm. Okay, he just kind of comes out of the blue as some young guy, mm-hmm. right? Who just like ends up being I was listening the whole time and. I got to say you're all wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So, he really comes out of the blue. So, I know some scholars think that Elihu came was added in at a later date. Now, it was it's, a
0: literary invention. Yeah.
1: A, right.
0: So the idea being that these new ideas come along, but and they think that they're right and they think that they're more wise than the ideas that came before them, but they're actually just a regurgitation of the old ideas so they think they're new they think they're fancy but actually they're the same as the other guys they're just more arrogant about it or just as arrogant about it in a different way if
1: it was added in later by a prophet of god would be necessary i'm content with that idea Um, i'm content with that idea. whether it is it's all speculation so you can't say one for certain Um, but i think that uh there's there's a possibility that if it was added by say solomon or anything like that um I'll say possible as possibility. But I know sometimes that argument's also used to be like, look, the, everything was written later. Mm-hmm. It's all fake. So it's like, okay, that's lame. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so if you want to go that road that a prophet got added, cause we do know that the text was edited. Yeah. So, yeah, we, for right. Sure. And, and it, the, this additional portion in Job doesn't change anything else in the text. It's just like something was added into it. It has not removed things. You see what I'm saying? It's just an, an addition that's put in there. Let's say it's to help his generation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, let's say this, the, this prophet even made him, you know, called him Ram, the Buzzite, just to kind of tie in something, say that that is possible. Let's, sure. Let's say that's possible. Sure. Um. I don't think it's even necessary.
0: I think the meaning, I think the meaning of Elihu's speech uh, comes across either way, whether he was actually there or whether, or, or whether the author added him in to make a statement. Yes. Uh, Because I think it makes the same statement, whether he was there. It shows you that, yeah, like the, the next generation, those of us who are younger and coming up, we, our tendency is to think that, uh, you know, you guys have all tried. But we've got the real truth now. We understand. We're standing on your shoulders in a better way. But right. often, if we're not careful about it, we're just regurgitating stuff that has already come Sounds before.
1: like, why is uh, Joe relevant to theology today? No, there's another there's reason. There's another reason. There another we go. Reason.
0: Lots of things that we can learn. Lots of things that we can uh, uh, apply.
1: Yeah, through, I think so.
0: Through looking at it. But yeah, okay. I hope that helps. I think that's
1: good. I think that's solid.
0: <laughs> okay who's asking the next one is it me or is it you
1: i'll ask you
0: because i forgot to read. you it. can
1: ask me it doesn't matter i'll just say it out loud we'll both we'll talk about it
0: let's just right. talk about it why then? did
1: job repent if he did not do anything wrong that's the question now we right. both know that he did something wrong right he, he accused god of injustice granted he was confused right yeah he's he, essentially
0: right. a scholar have studied the book of job they 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 they, they talk about how um, they draw attention to the fact that, that the way Job is written, Job is actually calling God to court, right. like a court of law, and how he would have in the ancient world. So he's he's basically indicting God.
1: Right, and God's like, my court is the the earth. Mm-hmm. Have you not seen my creation? Right. So yeah. So Job did do something wrong. Yeah. But so but the question is, if we think about this, but before Job, you know, called God to injustice, he didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. okay well you can't say that because at at bottom it gets revealed that he had that he is calling God on injustice because all these things happened right so he had a bad theology he had a, 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 this karmic theology this
0: yeah the, you too. know right. if if I'm good God honors that with goodness and protection that's if right. I am evil then I don't get God's protection that's right which there is part of that that is true but that is not the whole picture that right. is not the whole
1: that's right image. so the quick answer is, why did Job repent if he didn't do anything wrong? Well, he did do something wrong, mm-hmm. and he presumed he presumed presumptuousness. Right? Uh, he the presumed
0: great... things about God that were not true.
1: That's right, and this and also too, this serves as a great you know as Paul talks about that the, the Old Testament the scriptures are used for our benefit.
0: Yeah, and and this was not something that this is not something that Job wasn't forgiven for. God forgave Job for this. Yes. He he appeared to Job and spoke to Job. To correct this, to grow their relationship, to right. change this. So, um, but I think, but but I mean, when you look at the premise, when you look at the beginning of the book of Job, the what Satan was attempting, or the adversary was attempting to get Job to do, was to curse God, and Job did not do
1: that. No, he did not. He
0: he did not do that. And he so was genuinely confused. So it's not as if confused. he didn't pass like the, yes. the test. He did. Like,
1: like you got it. like job's steadfastness and perseverance is just remarkable because yeah. like the guy, the guy loses everything, right? And he's just confused, and he's clearly sincerely like, look, I just need an answer. Yeah, that's clear yeah. sincerity in that. And granted, who does it?
0: In the light of God's holiness, there's always going to be things for us to repent for. Yes, there just is
1: always. <laughs> there, there just yeah. is.
0: We are by yeah. nature not perfect. That's we, right. We are by nature other. And 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 sinful.
1: It goes to show you, too, really back to this earlier question about theology today, how necessary just repentance and humility is.
0: Right. And
1: we'll get into that later. Because
0: Job could have easily... Justified himself, and we do see him doing a lot of self justification in his speech. I mean, that's fair, he's being attacked right. by his friends, he's being accused of being the worst, he's person being attacked in the world. from
1: every angle possible. Yes, yes,
0: yes, and he's he's at the lowest of the low, he's lost everything, so he does self justification. It's very easy for us to do self justification, but Job, even more so. And if at the end of the day, Job realized that his self justification was incorrect, how much more so? Is our self justification right. for our sin so
1: much friends. so that you know Job intercedes for his friends? God's like, they have to repent through you, buddy. Like that—that's what that was. Like, it's like uh, sacri- you do the sacrifice; they got to repent. You—you you help them. You pray for them, and you guide them through this. Yeah. Like that's quite the thing. Like that's—it's
0: quite the that's, thing. Yeah. So
1: and so now theology has been corrected. Anyways, this cultural theology that was being espoused was dead wrong. And as God often does, he corrects it through judgment. I think that's good. I think so too. Yeah, we kind of went overboard, but hey. I got, okay. I got a question for you. it viewer be your question. It's from Dylan. All right. I have a question. So it says Dylan. Psalm 8.5, yet you have made him a little lower than God. And the NASB. And the Hebrews 2 says, 2.7, you have made him for a little while lower than angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. That's also the NASB. Mm -hmm. I heard the word Elohim, which is used here in Psalm 8.5, means God of Israel, where in the uh, Septuagint, they translate it meaning angel. Just asking if you could clear up some things regarding this. Thank you always and God bless.
0: Thank you for the question, Dylan. Okay, the confusion comes over the word Elohim, um, which uh, you said, I heard the word uh, Elohim, which is used here in Psalm 8.5 means God of Israel. Uh, It can mean God of Israel, but it is also used often in the Old Testament to mean other things. So uh, for example, if we pop on over to Psalm 96, I wrote down really quickly because Um, made me think of that. In Psalm 96, it is translated lowercase g. So he's talking about the false gods of the nations. So Psalm 96 verse 1 four and five says this for great is the lord and most worthy of praise he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the nations are idols but the lord has made the heavens so um it it can be used to mean lowercase g god so gods who are not god uh like not they're 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 not true they're false
1: and it could also be used time into this to add to this uh just in terms of just spirits because first Samuel 28 I think is the witch of endor. Yeah. And that word when uh, uh, Samuel comes up from the dead is an Elohim comes up from the dead. It's a
0: spirit. It's a yes. spirit.
1: So even spirit. there it's not even that's not even a, a, an angel. That's creatures a a that
0: are not of this world or that's like right. not not human. Um, Job 1 verse 6 uh It's used to mean angels. It says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. So this is meaning spiritual beings, real spiritual beings. Uh, And in Isaiah, the word is also used, uh, I believe specifically when Isaiah is speaking of a certain kind of angel, which is the seraphim. I believe Elohim is used... um, let me grab that here. Yeah, it's in Isaiah 6. I, I'm going to have to double check myself on that. But uh, the, the word Elohim is, can be used to mean um, angels, spiritual things. Um, so the point then, I'm going to go back to the psalm. So I think the question ultimately comes down to why do we understand this psalm to mean angels and not God. So in the context of the Psalm, Psalm eight verse five, we're talking about, the Psalmist is talking about human beings. So back in verse four, it says, "'What is mankind that you are mindful of them? "'Human beings that you care for them.'" You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So what this is talking about is the role of mankind. So the psalmist here is saying... is is explaining the authority that was given to mankind, to Adam and Eve, and by extension, all of their descendants. So this idea is that we are responsible for the physical world, but the author makes sure to note that we are a little lower than the Elohim. So we don't have physical authority over the spiritual world, over the heavens, over the invisible things. That's God's territory. That's God's dominion. So God made us a little lower than that because we have, so this, this distinction is just showing what we have authority over and what we don't have authority over. So we as human beings have authority over the world, but we do not have authority over the spiritual world. God does. God yeah. has, has authority. Over that, so I would say that's why um, that's why that's being used there, and that's why the Septuagint and then Hebrews follows the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that happened before the New Testament time period. So the Septuagint understands that to mean angels, as in the spiritual world, because it's talking about what humanity has. Um, authority over and what it does not have authority over. So again, has authority over the earth, does not have authority over the spiritual world. I
1: yeah. think that's good.
0: So I would say that...
1: There's one more I was thinking about. What's that? That's a great answer. I just, I couldn't find it. I was like, where is it? Like, as I thought it was Psalm 82, but it's not. doesn't matter. Anyways, it's a shame. Now I've mentioned it. And now everyone's <laughs> like, what could it be? You
0: know what you can yeah. do. You could always go back in the comment section. That's right. If you remember. It's, it's and... in the
1: courtroom. A God is in the... In his divine counsel setting with the, with the other Elohim's, the yeah. Elohim among the other Elohim's. Yeah. Anyways, he's the Elohim of Elohim's. Is what I was trying to say. He's the Spirit of Spirits. He's the you know, the God of all things. Kind of yeah, like yeah, that's the king of uh, Psalm eighty six. Psalm eighty six. I do I th- believe. I, I thought it was okay. I just missed it.
0: Yeah, Psalm eighty six, verse eight. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds compare with your can compare with yours. That's NIV, but I believe that's Elohim. Elohim. Is it not? Oh man. Live testing of this out.
1: No, I know. This is not my Bible. So now I'm like, okay. Psalm
0: eighty six verse eight. Is that not it?
1: No, it's not. No, it's not verse eight, it's the whole thing. It's okay. Yeah, you know but what? that's where it goes God's I'll find God. it. I'll put it in no? the comments. I'll find it. I'll find it, and put it in the comments. I don't know. <laughs> okay.
0: Well that's that that was my that was my off the cuff guess. That's
1: I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's related to it. I tried. Anyways, that's I good. tried. <laughs>
0: yeah. okay. okay. That's it. So we're gonna segue then into our big discussion question. Sure. And we've kind of taught we've kind of hit on it a little bit, but right. the question is, is humility necessary for salvation? What do you think?
1: Okay, so whenever I use the word necessary, there's a lot of, how should I say this? There's a lot of different angles people come to this word at. So for instance, let's take baptism. Is baptism necessary? Well, we say that it's necessary, that you must do it, right? But then people say, well, is it necessary to be saved? And that's the whole question. So we're saying that you must do it because God wants you to do it. And no one's saying you must not do baptism. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because so th- what's weird here is that you have a, you're you need to do it because God told you to do it. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, well, you don't need it to be saved. It's kind of like when we use the word necessary, we can get ourselves in a, in a little... Uh, a pigeonhole because what angle are we come we talking about practically we need to do it. but ontologically we need to do it. or you're talking about, do you see what I'm saying? Does God need it? So anyways, long story short, the word necessary makes things a little tricky because I believe humility is necessary in the sense for salvation, that God is working through you and transforming you to be humble and that's where repentance comes from. So you need to repent to come to God, right To for, for God to forgive your sins. That repentance is humility. It's the other side of that. So yeah. There's a humbleness that comes with that. So yes, it's necessary. Yeah. The question is then... It's
0: impossible to repent without recognizing your sin. Well, Of course. And that you are sinful, and, which humbles you. Uh,
1: of course. So like, yes, yes, it
0: has yes. to be.
1: The, the thing that happens here with some people though, is that that humility process, does that continue? Does that grow in people's lives? What does that look like? Because you have a one and done thing. It's like, oh, they repented that one time. It's like, okay, well, that to me is like you're in the mercy of God at that point. I don't know if someone repents once and they go on their whole lives and there's no life of repentance, there's no humility that comes after that. I don't know, do you see what I'm saying? Whether they're saved, I can't give a, a yes or no guarantee to, to that process because I don't know for sure from my human standpoint whether they truly humbled themselves or whether or not it was just something they said.
0: Right, that's that's God's domain. That's God's right? domain. That's God's domain. But I think, but the Christian life requires consistent humility. Of course I it mean, does. I mean, Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. And there yes. was nothing so appalling in the first century Roman Empire than bearing a cross. Yes. Then Than being crucified. Yes. And so to, to publicly... Christ using those words to publicly, to pick up your cross and to follow Christ, that requires great humility. Yes. And so, Um, and, 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 you know, we see. We see us engage in a battle. Once we come to Christ, we engage in a battle with ourselves and with our own sins.
1: Paul says, the rich man that I am, I want to do this. I also want to do this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there, and and I mean, when you get into the book of James, James encourages confession of sin. Yes. To one another, to other Christian brothers and sisters. And the very act of confession is humiliating in a good way. I don't yes. mean humiliating in a bad way. I know a lot of times in our culture, we're like, well, that's humiliating, and meaning it's not something that you want to do. But in this case, confession is a good humility where it it takes you from being, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm a pretty good person, to recognizing, no, without God, I am altogether dead. Yes. Dead in my sins. So there is this, you know, <laughs> the the Proverbs don't speak against pride, for nothing yes they they speak against pride because it's evil that's right you know and so when it when it talks about you know pride coming before a fall um and i and i think that i you know in my own life and in the lives of those that are closest to me i have seen that play out so many times and i think that's a faithfulness of god issue where god allows you to fall to point out to you your pride's an issue here right you know so so I, I think humility is an ongoing thing that God works with, and his so people. that's
1: part of the thing. When I see something like this, this question, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, there's degrees of humility because some people are more humble than others, mm-hmm. right? Apparently, Moses was the most humble man in the face of the <laughs> earth, right? So it's like so the point is <laughs> So is that,
0: thought his by So,
1: yeah, <laughs> so really my point funny. is is that there's degrees of humility, there's degrees of humbleness. Some are more humble than others, and because of that, when we look at it like, oh, do you need to be fully humble to be saved, like? I oh, I
0: see. Like the ultimate, well, most humble, humble, like What
1: do you mean? Well, you need true humility <laughs> to be saved. So it's like, okay, you need to be, truly you need to be humble. But that doesn't mean you will be humble in every category of your life. There'll right. be blind spots. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that's yeah, the yeah. idea of God sure. working with you to progress. And that was the sure. reason why I'm like, okay, things can be, because when you say it's necessary to have degrees, I'm like, really weird. Usually it's like, it's black and white, it's clean cut, right? Well, and but who I, decides this, but,
0: the degrees? I,
1: yes, God. God's there yeah so, yes so like i'm fully on board with saying absolutely humility is necessary for salvation that's the way i see things um i just know people have a different way of looking like oh what you need to well what happens if there's a little of my uh someone i know is a little bit selfish i was like well that's not good right god's got to correct that and you have to right? we have to work together to correct selfishness yes that's, that's the point of confession but selfishness is not a godly thing. We should want that to be gone. That doesn't mean they're not saved. Do mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying there? So there might be mm-hmm. selfishness in your life that doesn't negate. We're not
0: immediately made perfect when we are saved by Christ. That's right. When we receive the seal, the promise, the investment That's right. of the Holy Spirit. There is a long process of sanctification. Sometimes a short process, it depends on when you die, but however long you're alive, you God works with you and you work with God to become more like God. That's the idea. That's the whole point. Right? Growing those fruits of the spirit in your life, allowing them to be grown by God. Right. Through listening and, and through following, following Christ, following the the apostles' teaching in the New Testament. Right. Right?
1: Yeah. So I think it, it really comes down to. Um, this question, if it's humility, is it required? Yeah, of course it's required because it's God transforming you. you I don't it's, think it's that you repentance.
0: can repent without... Humility. Humility and yeah. repentance is necessary for yeah, salvation. It's, it's the same thing, And exactly. it's necessary for the Christian life. So, it just is. So, we need to repent all the time. But what's
1: really important there is that people often think, oh, repent. I, I don't think it's very common in our culture to think humility. It's clearly the opposite of repentance. But not the opposite, sorry, on the, the opposite side of the coin. I say, I wonder why I said it that way. Two sides of the same coin. When you repent, therefore, you're being humble, right? That's what I meant to say. Anyways, not the opposite. It can't be the opposite. Sorry. So distracting. <laughs> I distracted myself. Okay, um, that's but fine. But my point here is that um, humility is so important, but mm-hmm. we've kind of made it a thing where it's like, oh, you don't need it. It's like, oh, people are just selfish. That's just part of their character. And it's like, no, this isn't good. It's clearly not a good thing. Yeah, our, and so, our culture
0: has a massive problem with this. It's huge. Massive and it seeps into the church. Yes. It, I mean, all culture does. Yes. No matter what time or what place you live in, your culture will naturally seep into the church because it affects and influences people. So there's this whole self-confidence movement and 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 pride movement and and uh it's just not good. It's not healthy. The the scripture It's very clear when you look at, I mean, we have so many examples. Hebrews calls them a cloud of witnesses. We have so many examples throughout the Old and New Testaments where the pride of someone's life leads them into a tremendous, a tremendous amount of sin. And it is a huge problem. And so these, these cultural influences that we have where you're enough, you're worth it. What does that even mean? (laughs)
1: That means nothing.
0: The, the, The gospel is very clear that we are not enough. Yes, we are loved by God. Yes, we are created by God. Yes, we have a purpose individually and as a body of Christ, but we are categorically not enough. We need Christ's righteousness for salvation yes so these are like our culture is like oil and water when it comes to the gospel so we have to be really really careful not to allow that to influence our thinking and
1: also too just within the church not even just factors outside the church like the whole point of job was uh, like i said the hidden theme was presumptuousness is a bad thing Mm -hmm. presuming to know what you don't know Mm -hmm. um and that's really important here because that's epistemic humility that's like having humility with what you know Mm -hmm. and that's something that i think is just completely gone like, like, it's not completely, but it's not talked about as being really important. Um, where it's like, we just assume if we read this text, we're just going to get it, and that's what we need to do. And it's like, there's a whole miss You wonder why we have so many denominations. Not because we're like, oh, we think that this is the proper way, but we, we value. It's like, no, that's not how these, these denominations started. They started because... There is no other way to look at this but the way I'm seeing it right now. Right. And so therefore I'm I'm fellowshipping with you, but I'm not gonna fellowship with you because you're dead wrong. Mm-hmm. But where's the perseverance? Where's the steadfast endurance? Where's, where's the, the patience? Fa- where's
0: the familial love? The familial bond? <laughs> so, where where you have this idea? Well, we're stuck together. Yeah. So we have to learn to live with one another despite our disagreements. Yes. We have to find common ground. That's all out the window. So
1: you have here. That's right. So right, you have here is like this basic mm-hmm. premise where epistemic humility is not applied. The world goes rampant, mm-hmm. right? Because now everyone's got their own churches; they're all doing their own things, and having uh, interconnected to doctrine in togetherness is no longer a primary factor. It's like, oh, well, I'll do my thing; you do your thing, and there's no there's no point worshiping together because we got our own understanding of how that works, mm-hmm. right? And they're all like, well, God will justify me. It's like, well, God actually wants you to be together because mm-hmm. humility is how you become united Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you don't have unity if you're not humble you don't have humility you don't have unity if you're not there's no grace and that humility and that great right that grace comes through humility Mm -hmm. by repenting letting right you can grace can flow through you more easily and by living a life of repentance as a living sacrifice which repentance is a sacrifice then that's how that also happens so anyways I've been kind of bumbly today. Look, but...
0: we both have. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're par- We have we have an almost eight month old, and there was not a lot of sleep last yeah. night. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. that's okay. But look, uh, yeah, God, uh, God is really merciful, and he and 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 at the end of the day, humility is just being honest. It's yeah. the truth. We, you know, we we are called to be soberly minded. That means to look at things truthfully. Um, and without veneer, without the influence of, of substances that make things seem better than they actually all are. So yes, we are made in the image of God. We are created for a reason. And God loved you so much that he was willing to pay the cost for your sin. But you and I are still sinful, right? That's yes. that's just truth. That's right. yeah. And that is that coming to that place of repentance is by definition humiliating. That's right. It takes us from a place where we takes us to a place where we recognize God's holiness and our inadequacy. Right. And that very, very, very good news that God through Christ has made a way to fix that imbalance. Yes.
1: I just to cap things off, I wrote an article, which I'll also post in the comment section called The Hidden Meeting of Dust and Ashes. And it relates to how this humility that Job goes through, because we all we always talk about when Job repents of dust and ashes and happens else elsewhere in the text, mm-hmm. what does that mean and what does that look like? Um, and basically it's like this repentance that Job does is, uh, this humility that he goes through to, to put himself in dust and ashes is a, a full-blown, it's showing that from dust he is, from dust he shall return. Yep. And the ash right. is a form of destruction. It's showing like the mm-hmm. dust was destroyed. So he's putting himself in judgment and he's putting himself – He's good as dead, basically. Mm-hmm. That is what that means. He is committing his whole life and everything that he is, all of his strength, his wealth, all of his uh, you know, uh, his mind, his heart, his soul, everything that he is, has repented. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the principle that God wants us to do. Of course, that's necessary for, for a guaranteed salvation. Everything else is at the mercy of God, I say, but hey. That's my final sentence. I'm done there. You to read it. <laughs> All
0: right. Lots All right. of things to discuss. Lots of things to think about. Please pop your comments and your questions down below. Until next week, happy reading and happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.